Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. You could just lick your hand and then run it back through your hair, <laughs> like, like your mommy used to do. Looks good, looks good. No worries. <laughs> oh, yeah, awesome. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> okay. okay, we are uh, properly judged for our television appearance here this evening. So I'm going to go ahead and say, hello, dearies. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, episode 65. Matt, how's things? Hi. <laughs> Things are great. Yeah. Did you just come here from a party or what? Oh yeah. Oh, did I ever? Yeah. Well, you know, it's um. So I have three kids, right? My eldest is thirteen. So tonight was her. Uh, what do you call it? A Christmas concert, I guess. So that is the, what there's a it. really yeah. There's an excellent band program at her school, and the band teacher is really really something else she's so energetic and patient and awesome so um yeah and they sounded great like there's a this you know grade level bands and then there's kind of a jazz band ensemble and the jazz band are really good awesome you know yeah i was really impressed so anyway it was a lot, it was a lot of fun and how long have you been playing? playing so she started clarinet uh she's been playing the piano for uh, a long okay. time but she started clarinet like to I guess when she started senior high, no junior high, right? <laughs> I get my high schools muddled up, but um, so two years, and then she started flute this year. So, yeah, cool, lots of fun. And then I dashed down here. I was going to cycle down, but actually I had time to go get the car, so I got the car. So I made it in time. <laughs> well, I've got, some news. I've got I've got oh, some yeah. news for you, Canadian. <sighs> Guess guess what happened in Austin, Texas today. You will never guess what happened in Austin. If you guess within three guesses, if you guess what happened in Austin, Texas today, I will uh, send you the Christmas gift of your liking. Oh, wow. Uh, it snowed. Oh, God. I have, that's it. You got it. <laughs> what would you like for Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> I saw oh, a, I'll have another uh, bottle of it. I saw a list of very expensive uh, geo geeks um, gift gifts. You know, you actually you wrote right, Matt. Uh, I did, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was really cool. something off my right. <laughs> yeah, choose something off my Christmas list. It's on the internet. What do you think it's for? <laughs> <laughs> Paula, you must be on a yoga ball or something. Yes, I am. Actually, on, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. I need one for this, for this uh, broadcasting yeah. station. That's yeah. a very professional broadcasting station I have. Um, so we're doing news, right? So I have some news. I have some really important news. And it's, it's related to um, a conversation we had with some of our listeners a few uh, last week. Um, we tend to, because we do YouTube live broadcast while we're recording this podcast, Matt and I are very good at putting visual things up for our radio <laughs> listeners to see. So if you don't watch this show on YouTube, you probably should this week because I am about to drop a gem here. 
I moved to Texas, as you guys know. Wait, 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 wait. Before yeah. you, sorry. Okay, intro. Before intro. you do that, <laughs> you've gone all fuzzy. Oh, shit, and I want right? the full effect. I mean, oh man. Yeah. We're not supposed to curse on this show, Paula. And I just, <laughs> I just broke our only rule. Is that sharp enough? Is that yeah, sharp? that's that's good. Okay. That's all better. right. So, as you know, I've recently moved to Texas, and I went with my wife shopping the other day in the hipster part of town and we stopped at the cowboy store the boots store and they had these bad boys tune in this week on undersampled radio to see graham wearing a cowboy hat that actually sounds a very expensive hat <laughs> you know it wasn't very expensive it's but not, it, it feels, look, it it feels like, like a million uh, bucks <laughs> so I've been wearing it all over town, and most of the people who are uh, Texas natives are like, "We don't wear that." And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeehaw!" <laughs> anyway, that's really all the news. I mean, I have some news about like graph machine learning, but we can talk about that later, or not at all, if you guys want. Um, yeah. So I'm going to introduce our guest, and <laughs> you don't sound all that enthused, Matt. <laughs> 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 well, I, you know, Paula's there. She's yeah. She's you know, she's clearly wants to chat. I think we yeah. should just do I, it. I'm very chatty. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> we should, let's, let's should introduce our guest. Yeah. Okay. Let me. Here we go. We have Paula Alves on the show with us today. She is. She owns her own company, data science company. Yes. And so, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm just going to say a company of one person. Yeah. Company of one person. <laughs> Well, that's we've all done that at one point or another. Mm -hmm. um, so, Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. That sounds pretty cool. I mean, as I mentioned, the two most uh, um, interesting, the things, the two things that I like the most, geology, geology and data science, uh, machine learning. So, I'm in the right podcast here. You are. <laughs> this podcast is basically we've just been waiting for you, basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's right. I'm in. I'm in danger of losing my job as co-host. I got. I better step uh, it up. Those cowboy hats. Um, Paula. So, did, did you start in geology? Yes, I did. Actually, my uh, very first job was uh, very much. You know, a lot of people graduate in geology. They end up not working in geology. Eventually, down the line, I ended up not working in geology. Um, but uh, my very first job was actually very much geology. I was actually working as a mine geologist for a phosphate mine. I'm originally from Brazil, so um, I was working in Brazil. And um, back then, um, I was very. It was very good because uh, you know cheese operation had uh, they used some pretty good technology, which is not always the case, you know, with mining companies. <laughs> um, so uh, I was working a lot with, um, you know, uh, deposit modeling, which was like my dream job. I wanted to do deposit modeling. Um, so we did a lot of drilling. It was a, it was a carbonatite deposit. So it was not sedimentary. It was, uh, um, you know, hard rock. And, uh, and uh, uh, it's very unique also deposit because, um, you know, you don't have a lot of uh, um, carbonatizing the world because they are, you know, they come from the mantle, so they do not uh, get, ex you know, become exposed and outcrop easily. Um, and uh, and uh, they are very interesting rocks too, you know, it's like, a you know, mostly carbonates and the mantle. So there are a lot of things around um, carbonatites that people don't, 
fully understand yet, you know, how can we have so much uh, CO2 <laughs> at those conditions. Uh, but um, it's very interesting, like for example, carbonatites, you actually, that was a phosphate deposit. There's a, another huge one in, uh, in Russia. Uh, but also, um, you know, carbonatites are the ones that actually host the biggest um, rare earth elements deposits, uh, hmm. like the one in China. Um, like what? Palladium? So, uh, no, it's actually the rare earths, like, um, uh, you know, um, all the, uh, uh, including yttrium, uh, but also um, the, um, I think, Praseodymium, neodymium, oh. uh, you know, all just things that I use it in the clean technologies. <laughs> um, and also, uh, eventually, interestingly enough, later on, I ended up working with Skangium, which is another very uh, weird, unique uh, mineral, you know, oh, actually, element, but, you know, the geologist will say. But anyways, I started with, um, you know, with just mine geology. Um, and, um, and, uh, Funny enough, it's interesting to think how a lot of uh, the work I was doing back then relates a lot with uh, data science today. Um, how so? Uh, well, we we had um, you know a lot of uh, different um, data that we collected. So of course we're doing a lot of drilling, and so both exploration drilling and production drilling. Uh, so you had, um, you had the data from the analysis from the drill cores. Uh, you had, we did actually, I got to know that my, the mine, the deposit, it was an open pit mine. I got to know as well as my hand because I did uh, a mapping of all the exposed, uh, you know, benches. Um, I did the geological mapping and also structural mapping. Uh, mm -hmm. So we actually added that data into the uh, data set, uh, the database. Uh, of course, we had, you know, we actually had a, we had a survey crew, uh, which is also not that useful, you, uh, usual to see necessarily, unless like you have some really big operations uh, in mining. So we had our own survey crew, so we had the, the, the terrain data. Um, we also did a lot of um, uh, testing other than just uh, chemical analysis, uh, you know, physical tests on the, on the material. Uh, so we had the data, and then we had a bunch of historical data um previous maps uh uh previous uh you know um mining reports so all that was integrated into a data set and uh and then from that we actually would use that to create a uh, uh block model what we call block model uh basically it's a, it's a representation in blocks in three-dimensional blocks it's like minecraft the mineral. yes <laughs> yeah, you know we've, we've talked but, about that several times on the show. Okay, cool. And actually, uh, you know, basically the main information that you get from that is, uh, you know, the, the 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 resource estimate, right? How much? In that case, was phosphate. There were other parameters as well, but the main thing was about the phosphate grade. Um, how how and, big are the is the grid? How big are the blocks? Uh, so I remember. So on the vertical, uh, I think there were five by five by five meters, because um, our benches were were actually five meters high. We had like ten, something, ten turning into five meters. 
uh, sorry, the opposite, five and 10, sometimes we turn into 10. But so uh, we mine in five meters uh, bench height. And um, so the, the vertical was more as a convenience that can make sense for the, for the mining equipment and stuff like that. Um, but then the other dimensions were more or less determined by convenience and also just statistical. Um, and then analysis. And then, um, so we create a block model. And then once you have the resource estimate, um, you have to create a mining plan from that. Um, and the cool thing is that, you know, we actually would uh, have to um, uh, plan, and then of course we go mine, and then we actually go and update the model, and we run the estimates and everything. Uh, it was all computerized, so um, uh, back then we were using, you know, just uh, mining software suite. Um, you could uh, you would you would have to know what you're doing of course and uh, enter the parameters you know production parameters and things like that but um but also um it was not necessarily you know as i mentioned um i was mentioned talking to someone else uh open source back in the day that time it was not a big deal yet so right. you know people instead of there was no such a thing as software as a service or or open source, uh, you know. So we would use just software suite. And, but we did have, uh, for the mining plan itself, um, we actually had a consultant that he actually wrote a software. Basically, it was an implementation of a, a famous mining algorithm to, uh, you know, to run uh, the mining, create the mining plans. And actually, we did, that one didn't have a graphic interface. So we would have to do. We did everything in the command line and stuff. But it was very interesting work. So basically, you, know, you collect your data, and then you create a model, and then you repeat, you update a model. Uh, a little bit different um, um, you know, context, but you know, quite it's similar a, in some sense to data it, science. <laughs> it sounds like you loved it. How did you, how did you wind up in uh, data science? I did love it. I really did. But um, when I was in uh, working there at the mine, um, I met. Um, actually, there was a there was a conference, a big geological conference, and there was one of the few trips over there to the mine site. And I was like the time at the time I was the only geologist who could speak English, <laughs> and uh, so I ended up uh, uh, leading the the, the the field trip. And also my professors were there. Also, they were part of the field trip and organizing. So. Um, so I met this uh, gentleman <laughs> who turned out to become my advisor. He actually was, you know, he goes out. He's a super cool guy. He goes out all over the world whenever he travels, recruiting graduate students. Mm -hmm. But he was looking mostly for PhDs. And um, and I said, well, I don't have PhD. But, um, and then he was like, no, but uh, we also have master's degree, you know, opportunities. I said, okay, I'll keep an eye on it. <laughs> and uh, and it was cool because we kept in, we kept in touch. And uh, I was I had already been considering grad school, although not seriously, because I had a job. <laughs> sure, so, <yeah. laughs> uh, but you know, that sounded like a crazy idea, but it sounded very interesting. It was like a small university, but um, uh, school, but um, uh, but it was a mining school. Um, so that sounded like a good fit, and uh, and then I applied, and then I got a scholarship, and then I came here. <laughs> and then after I completed the the master's degree, I actually got an opportunity. It was um, it was um, a, a mining and and minerals, a mining and chemicals company. Um, they actually, uh, I was working uh, for this company um, here in the US, but uh, they are truly a multinational company. They have uh, you know operations everywhere in the world. I mean, everywhere 
<laughs> and uh, and they have some really big operations in Brazil too. Mm-hmm. So in Amazon uh, and also other parts of Brazil and other parts, but uh, mostly one of the biggest operations in the Amazon. And uh, so I ended up um, getting a job with this company and I started as a minerals uh, research geologist, uh, but pretty soon um, kind of started getting more into process engineering, uh, and more in terms of the opportunities that, you know, projects and uh, the things that are more relevant going on. And um, so I ended up spending quite a few, you know, I spent quite a bit of time working with this company. I had different roles there. Uh, and then one of my last roles, I was actually working in for a project um, which is company in uh, in uh, in Belgium. And uh, and then it was she's off the blue, she's a recruiter uh, from a company here in Silicon Valley that was uh, they're looking for someone. <laughs> they're really seeing you know someone with the uh, mineral processing and geology skills. Um, and and that was for a, a few cell manufacturing company, um, and which a lot of people wonder what 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 do you you know some of your mining background would do, <laughs> but uh, that was what was uh, interesting too. So um, basically, it was more it was a completely change of environment. And I was looking for something like that. After a while, um, you know, it, I had a lot of fun working for mine. I really I really did. But it's it can be really hard on your personal life. And um, you know, you end up a lot of hours, mm-hmm. uh, very harsh work environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, I remember this conversation we were having uh, with the project the project I was working on. You know, um, you know, I think that we got some some temperature in Belgium in the in the winter. There it was minus twenty centigrade, and uh, it was not very, it's not very common. I think it was just like for a couple of weeks. Um, but it was awful. So I remember when finally the temperature went up to zero, which is 32 Fahrenheit, and then balmy zero. Yeah, and then you you know we we're having to scowl, and these guys are like, "Wow, um, is it better than? Yeah, yeah, much better now. Oh no, here it's still zero in in the UK. Oh no, no, it's zero here. It's just <laughs> it's just that it's much better now." You know, but it was fun. I, I do miss a lot of aspects of that line of work, but I'm also glad I'm not. Um, doing that anymore um so yeah i'm over here so what do you do company and uh, they were looking for so they have this um few cell um uh product and it's a it's a very it's a very good product it's uh, basically they you supply um you can supply generate your own energy from natural gas um and it's a very clean you generate on site it's a very clean very efficient process you know there's no transmission lines and there's no combustion um and uh, so there's a the technology of the electrolyte uh use a, a dopant that's where the schedule comes into the story um it's a schedule as a dopant in the, in the structure of the electrolyte and she's actually uh, gives uh, quite a few um, you know advantages or some certain quality qualities especially on the on the longevity of the few cells and cells the electrolyte how do you dope um, scan the amount of material it's all it's actually uh, it's actually a ceramic process uh, and actually the the way we use uh, the scan we, we make a we're making a very super um, super pure high purity powder mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, scanning oxide, and basically, um, you create cheese. It's really a ceramic plate, um, 
Um, and uh, basically you have, uh, you know, the, the, it's, it's really cool because the entire manufacturing is right here. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, so in the process, um, you know, it, it, it's really cool about mineral technology because you're thinking about, in a way, geology itself is mineral science, uh, is material science. So a lot of the process that we think, uh, you know, in geolo geological terms actually kind of reproduce uh, in the industry manufacturing. So I was, our group, the problem is like Scandium does not have a, a supply developed in the world. And then all of a sudden the company needs Scandium. Um, and it turns out the Russians <laughs> hold on to a lot of Scandium. Uh, but Scandium has some, some very um, limited applications or have, has had some very limited applications. And also geologically speaking, you don't have like a huge deposits, like a, you know, huge concentrations of Scandium. So it's always a subproduct of something. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a byproduct. Um, so basically, uh, the company puts together a, a group of people with mining background because they need one to source the scandium. And to begin with, they didn't even know where scandium. They had some idea, of course, but uh, um, you know, they still needed to figure out, okay, where can we find scandium? Even you know, <laughs> um, and then uh, and then on top of that, you had to develop the process to obtain the high purity powder that I mentioned. So, uh, so. Um, so that's how um, I was working there. Actually, funny enough, I ended up doing a little bit of geology research, which was really cool. Uh, yeah. So and, uh, tell, us, tell us about your current company. What are you doing? Um, so, so actually, I have been um, um, uh, actually decided to change career. And uh, I was, um, I took a kind of a leap of faith <laughs> because uh, I kind of learned everything like a kind of very structured way. And, uh, uh, and then when I felt like, okay, you know what, I think I'm going to give it to the try uh, and uh, test the market. And, you know, it was time to leave my job. So I was, uh, I left my job and I started to, uh, um, you know, my idea was to work on some, some projects and then have something to talk about and uh, show like people and see what kind of work would come my way. Uh, so I did that, and then um, and then I got a, a, a job opportunity, a work opportunity with one of the big companies here in mm -hmm. Silicon Valley, um, and then I ended up working on a project with them for a year. And then after that, I didn't, uh, I hasn't, I have not worked on really uh, big projects like that, uh, but I have worked on other smaller projects. What was uh, the big project? Uh, it was actually, so it was actually for uh, Cisco, and uh, it was, um, there were a few things that they wanted to, um, um, it was more like related to business problems, like uh, in this case, uh, operations. Mm -hmm. uh, so they have, uh, you know, uh, all the data, you know, from, that was the data set I was working the most. Transaction uh, data or something. Yeah, it's actually a, basically a, like a CDR, you know, quality data records. Mm -hmm. um, so you have all these records of uh, phone calls, in this case, were conference calls. Um, and, you know, there are interesting things like, you know, um, product usage, uh, trends in the product usage, uh, a lot of things in terms of optimization of their internal processes. Um, also, uh, some revenue uh, auditing, you know, they're um, trying to understand some changes in their revenue and um, 
so yeah, so it was definitely very business uh, focused. Awesome. Yeah, it was it was really cool. I, I learned a lot of things really fast. Um, Were you doing modeling um, to like project revenues or? Uh, well, that's the interesting thing about it. Um, of course, I, when I joined it is, uh, the project, you know, I, I was very eager to work with some modeling because they want to, one of the things that they needed was uh, forecasting. Uh, they wanted to for better forecast uh, the, 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 the product domain. Um, but, um, you know, there were so many things still to get there. Um, uh, so I ended up working a lot with um, product integ uh, data integration uh, data cleaning, <laughs> um, a lot of a lot of data analysis, a lot of um, um, you know putting together information for people that they needed for some other project. The the one thing is that once you you're part of the group and then people realize you're there and then you start to get all these kind of requests um, that you grow into the, the 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 role and then you start you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I didn't do as much uh, modeling uh, as I would like to, but um, um, in the end of the day, uh, you know, just can be really, I, I, in my case, I have seen, I'm sure, of course, it's different for different companies, and some companies are more advanced in terms of data science, and in the sense of, uh, you know, they have, sometimes they have a product that is actually very heavily focused on data science, right. or they have like large teams, and, but you know, depending, depending on the company or the group you're working with, um, you know, sometimes there are a lot of uh, more like low-hanging fruits that, um, you know, uh, and then, well, of course. For a big company like Cisco, I mean, if you improve anything by half yeah. a percent, you're talking about tens of millions of dollars. And that's that's the that's the real key about it. Like uh, you know, there were some things that actually ended up leading like some really small patches in like uh, internally on the product architecture. And uh, um, I kind of very grossly kind of estimated how much the impact could be. But uh, you know, I didn't I didn't get into you know very accurate numbers. But yeah, it's definitely in the order of millions. And, it's always impressive to see those types of figures. I was doing an. Uh, I don't want to say analysis, but I was reading and kind of picking around a little bit today about investment in, in Matt, the oil and gas space. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's uh, BP invested like 20 million, $25 million in, uh, mm -hmm. in that company, that machine learning company. Right. And I'm like, man, that's a lot of money, you know? And then I'm thinking about it, I'm like, that's like less than a hundredth of a percent of their market. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, um, and it's interesting because uh, I have worked by far mostly with large companies, um, and uh, and yes, I mean that's why why they can afford you know hiring people just looking to you know how can we prove things here and there. So it sounds like you've been uh, picking around on some smaller projects since the big one finished. Um, mm -hmm. What what kind of stuff are you working on? Uh, so I actually did some, um, also some data analysis uh, for another uh, pharmaceutical company. Mm -hmm. um, I also, ah, I also one thing that I wanted to mention. So I, I decided, um, you know, a few months back um, that I I wanted to get more into geospatial stuff. Cool. Uh, so I haven't got any work on geospatial yet, but I have been working on, you know, some, uh, um, you know. Things on my end. Uh, I got into a. Um, it was really cool. I got into a, a program with NASA uh, to work on their um, with open data. Uh, 
and the that was really, knots, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, cool. So what, what are you working on for them? So, um, so the, the way the program works, it's, um, it's almost like a little bit of a free form. So they introduce you to a lot of stuff. So I think the number one thing is like, um, I, I got to understand a little bit better how, um, how the, the Nate, NASA works a little bit internally. So, you know, because basically they, if there's one thing they don't really necessarily have, and they're trying to achieve that. And to some extent they have got there. Uh, it's like a centralized place for the data, right? And also it's very, it can be very overwhelming because you're talking about, you know, it, it can be geology, it can be astronomy, it can be environmental science. It can be like, a, you know, a lot of different things. Um, so, uh, and they work which is, you know, several different, universities and research institutions. So say if I'm going to work with Chi's university, uh, they're going to work with such a, some university and then the, their university is also going to, you know, be granted to host the data. So you have Chi's space sources. Um, so the program, one thing that a big part of it was for me to understand that better, learn where to find the data. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, they, you know, have a gamut of uh, projects that you know, they want people to be involved uh, uh, or trying to get people involved, like, uh, uh, because NASA pretty much has made all their data open. So they want people to be, you know, more people doing doing things with it, right? Um, so um, I have not necessarily uh, picked any of the projects that, um, it would be really cool to uh, actually work with something that someone at NASA is working because they had those opportunities as well. But I hadn't picked pick anything like that because I had some more specific interests. Um, I wanted to actually focus on satellite data. Um, and uh, Images? Uh, yeah, exactly. Images. Uh, also, I've been poking around a little bit more recently with uh, radar data, which is uh, completely different. Uh, interesting, I, I hadn't never actually worked anything like uh, radar. Uh, but um, so, so I decided to um, start, start from, um, you know, building again some base. Um, I, I have a bunch of friends uh, here who actually are into geospatial, so we decided to get together and uh, start like working more towards um, working with Python for this uh, geospatial. So we kind of created just a sturdy group. So it's not just, it's open for everybody. Um, and we are going to go through, um, we're just getting started actually. Um, just like a few days ago I posted the sturdy plan. <laughs> Cool. Um, yeah, so we are going to go through geospatial Python, and uh, and then um, I want to put together something about um, remote sensing for everyone, remote sensing one one for everyone, mm -hmm. uh, because it, it's kind of a little bit hard to find that level of information. Whenever you look at uh, you know remote sensing information in, in online, there's always a lot of uh, um, sometimes too much math and too much. And the goal, like uh, so, NASA has this uh, space apps challenge that they right. organize every year, uh, and is you know people work on it remotely, and it goes on for like you know like for a few months, like two, three, four months, I think. Two, and then they months. have local they have local events as well, right? Yes, it's all over, and it's really cool the way they have been e able to reach. And you see people from like some small town, some 
yeah, I don't know, in like it's, I, maybe like in Afri Africa or Eastern Europe, you know, with teens and working from really cool stuff. So, um, so I, I, I think it's really cool. So, but I, what you see a lot is that, um, you know, if people could have a little bit of the basic domain, they would be able to probably do even cooler stuff, you know, of course. Uh, because otherwise people look at the data, they, you know, cannot make too much sense of it. So they come up with something still interesting, but it's more like usually some visualization of the data or something like that. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it would be interesting to actually do, I don't know, basic things even, like, I don't know, you can uh, determine how many swimming pools you can find in an image, you know? Sure. Uh, and then calculate maybe how much water goes into swimming pools, I don't know, things like that. Yeah. So, um, so are you going to get together in a, in a local event and, and have some friends come over and hack away for a few days? Yeah, so um, so as of the way we're doing this now, and I'm kind of still working better the the the, the, the format. We are using Slack channel, um, but so far everybody I have invited is, is local. But uh, you know, what's the name of Slack channel? Oh, it's a uh, GeoPython. GeoPython. Python. Cool. Is there a hyphen in the middle or just one word? <laughs> no, just one word. Okay, we have some yeah. listeners in the Bay Area. And oh, nice! I, awesome. I actually, I believe that some of those listeners did space apps last year. Is that right, Matt? Awesome! Awesome! Anyway, so uh, if the only person I remember is Justin. Okay, uh, he was live on site. Ah, oh, nice! Thought that, I thought there was someone in San Francisco. Anyway, so if you're Maybe. in the Bay Area, uh, check out the Slack channel. Yeah, GeoPython. Cool. So um, I see on your various websites you have an awesome blog that uh you're you're involved in a lot of events like this sort of uh hacking for a greater good um yes that, wh why 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 spend the time well i think there are a lot of reasons like it, it, first of all it's really cool to do something that you're helping you know organizations that you know that do cool you know really cool interesting work to help other people um and also it's always a good way usually just uh you know, data for good kind of hackathons. Uh, to the couple of ones I have uh, different groups I participated. They um, they have a really good vibe. You know, it's just like um, uh, so. It's a good it's a good way to meet people and make friends. And actually, I made a lot of friends through the data kind. Mm -hmm. um, um, and um, and then of course there's a learning aspect. You learn how to work with. Um, you know, in a group environment with other people doing data science at the same time, uh, deadlines and things like that, and, you right. know, actually uh, uh, meeting the expectations of the organization, uh, getting information, all that stuff. Um, but, uh, um, so, just, um, I think, um, I think, indeed, the, the biggest advantage in the end is, like, you put a little bit of work and then they are so uh, grateful, you know. Um, so, because, uh, this is a pervasive record of tools or data or something that can help others? Yeah, it's more like, frankly, uh, a lot of these nonprofits, so they have, uh, they have, uh, most of the time, sometimes they do have bigger data, but most of the times it's just small data. And it's, oftentimes it's not very organized data. Uh, so it needs to do a lot of, uh, you know, cleaning and restructuring, restructuring of the data. Um, but then, in the end of the day, for the things that matter the most, 
uh, it doesn't take much. It's almost like low hanging. There are a lot of low hanging fruits. Uh, um, you can do just some data analysis, some nice visualization, and then they're able to see things in the data that they could not be able to see. They're not able to see before. Um, so uh, I have worked like of, um, the two projects that I work with. One was uh, helping homeless people, uh, okay. and it's really a two 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 persons, two guys, uh, you know, non-profit. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other one is a much bigger organization uh, that helps, uh, they provide a lot of really good services for like uh, low-income people. Um, so what did you do on this project? So this very first project was interesting. And that's very interesting about <laughs> the um, part of the learning part as well. So the, the, just, um, this first one, the this first project, uh, when I joined, I was still fairly new, you know, um, working with um, machine learning and stuff like that. Right. And uh, and I was, but it was everything fresh in my mind. So I got there, I was like super excited. I'm going to do machine learning, you know. Yeah. And then I started to see, well, there's a lot of data cleaning to do. There's a lot of, uh, you know, issues. And uh, well, you don't have right now the data that you need exactly for what you thought. And you know, frankly, maybe. This is not even necessarily that important for them. I mean, they actually, you can just uh, um, work on something else that actually, um, you know, is going to meet their, their expectation. So that was pretty cool. A lot of people who actually uh, come to the, to the data tones, they call data tones. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's actually, they, um, they, they are, you know, very eager like I was. <laughs> Let's do some data science. Uh, and of course, you can pick uh, the team you're going to work with. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, the visualizations that you know you end up putting together from the data is what really gets people, um, you know, to feel more uh, the, the 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 nonprofits and stuff to get more uh, to see more value for the way they see. Do, do you feel like you've you provided something that was? Uh useful for the future like a stepping stone for another project or? oh yes yes they were able to see like some gaps uh, you know they had like just several different tables with several different um services that they provide so they were able to um uh have a, a different picture of the the um, the, the service that they provide and then um uh in terms of things like for example you know certain features that were more important uh, things that they need to focus on because they are trying to, um, you know, keep up with um, meeting the expectations of their own clients. And mm -hmm. also, of course, that's very important at the same time for them to keep bringing funding to the organization. Um, so they were able to target a little bit more and see which programs are working better than others. Uh, there was one, I remember one lady, she was, she mentioned like, a, well, it just was really interesting because uh, uh, we didn't realize that we, you know, we were actually at that level, just X program. And uh, now we're going to be able to actually change our strategy a little bit. And, you know, so, um, yeah. Good. So, Awesome. So, is most of the data science work you do is in Python or R or what? Is it? It's in Python. Actually, I did um, uh, did do quite a few uh, things in R. I, I do like R a lot too, um, but I think it's easier to work with Python in the sense of um, when you're going to, if you're going to create like a uh, you know full product, like you're going to implement something, uh, um, like for example, create some uh, I don't know. Uh, some product that's going to show um, uh, 
um, you want to create a web page or you know you can do pretty much all these things with R2 I just feel like when you get outside of the uh, machine learning and uh, and the data visualization part it's a little bit trickier to do the coding programming in R sure um, do you do you do integration or, or are you just a purely algorithms person no, no, no. The, for, with the R, I was mostly working with the existing libraries that they had, uh, you know, so just the algorithms. And sometimes I, there were very few occasions I actually was working with both Python and R. Uh, so if, for example, if you work in the Jupyter Notebook, it's not that hard to actually switch between one and another. Right. Um, but, you know, um, it, it's frank, frankly, it's hard to keep up with also the two things because there are new of things course. coming up all the time. Uh, you kind of have to pick one. <laughs> so when you, when you deliver your service, uh, mm -hmm. is there any product aspect to it? I mean, do you like write Cython code or something to deliver fast, scalable code? Uh, well, so everything I have uh, worked with I, is not necessarily has not been. It would have been more like an analysis, you know, sure. uh, head work. Uh, sorry, ad hoc analysis so i haven't haven't had to put anything say create like production code mm -hmm. you know um so most of the times um uh, i use notebooks because you can actually it, and it depends of course on the audience because sometimes you know it's not even notebook is not ideal you just actually want to create uh some slide presentation or right. You know, or sometimes they have their own uh, business uh, analytics uh, tools that they use and they want to see you, you know, using through that. Um, so, yeah, so it's mostly when people are actually interested in the code. Um, it, again, it depends on, you know, someone else is going to be, might be able to work on that too. And then uh, I usually go with uh, Jupyter Notebook because everything is, is right there, um, basically, you know, registered step by step. Yeah. Um, Visual. That's nice. Mm -hmm. So, have you uh, worked with um, lower level languages? No, but I have been recently started. <laughs> yeah, which one was that? C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, How do you uh, like it? Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, in a way, it, it's a different way of thinking, you know, compared coming from Python, right? Um, um, it's basically. In a way, you know, it's kind of very similar, but in, you know, a lot of these things that you don't need to think about with Python because it all happens under the hood. Automatically, you know, exactly. Automatically is a very good word. It's a good word, and you know, it's kind of a dangerous word too because sometimes you have just bugs in Python, and you have no idea where they come from, and uh, mm -hmm. um, so you know, that's a little bit harder to happen in something like with C plus However. You know, it, it can be kind of a pain to, to code with, with C++. <laughs> no such thing as a null pointer in Python. Yes, exactly. But there is interesting, though. There are a few things that they're starting to introduce in Python, kind of a, I, I, I guess, trying to get, like, a, not trying to do, so you already have, like, for example, things like type hints. That seems like they're becoming, like, bigger and bigger. Um, and... Um, so it's kind of a you know bringing a few elements to that if you want a level of control but not quite because you know it's interpreted anyways and <laughs> um so but it's interesting i i i think it's good to have you know an extra set of skills i don't i don't intend to become a c plus plus 
Asia. <laughs> but um, um, it's useful, again, if you're going to, and also you mentioned, I think you just mentioned, uh, um, you know, it, things start to make a little bit more sense. Like for example, um, sometimes I want to understand like how something works in NumPy. And then I have, you know, a couple of times then I went to the, the, the look at the, the code. Mm -hmm. And then of course, you know, everything is in C or sometimes C++, but it's like, well, you know, it can make more sense if I actually know that. So, and you can do things like, yeah. A little so bit more we have, before we get to, to uh, reading lists, which I'm very excited mm -hmm. about today, uh, I wanted to touch on the non-diversity of data scientists it mm -hmm. seems to me, and I, I'm not an expert on the subject, but it mm -hmm. seems to me like data science out of all the tech professions is one of the least diverse of them all. The statistic I read was, uh, it was this from Forbes this mm -hmm. year, is that there's only 26% female data scientists. Um, why is that? Do you think? Yeah, that's actually quite interesting because, I mean, come, me from coming from mining, <laughs> You know, it doesn't really necessarily feel like the least diverse, but it, it's definitely not very diverse. And um, and it's it's kind of interesting to think kind of hindsight too, because when I started to develop an interest for data science, um, I I actually met a lot of women. Um, it, it felt like there were a lot more women getting into it. Yeah, um, and um, and of course, you know, I hang out with a lot of uh, other. Uh, female data scientists as well. Um, and, uh, but again, there are some indicators, like for example, if you go look at like Kaggle, for example, mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't see a lot of women there, right? Sure. Uh, there are, there are definitely women there, but not as nearly as many. Uh, maybe because it caters, maybe, you know, for people who are, tend to be more competitive, um, not necessarily women, that women are competitive, but uh, it can be a little bit more, um, you know, uh, set you back a little bit more. Um, so um, I feel like, um, you know, I think in the end of the day, the root, the root cause of um, not having enough uh, women representation, uh, it's more to a basic level that I think to some degree or another, we are all, um, you know, we all can relate, or we can. We all guilty. <laughs> um, you know, it comes like it comes from early. It comes from like um, when you're when you're a child, and then you know you choose uh, to give the boys, uh, you know, certain toys, and for the girls certain toys, and you start to build a stereotype since they're little, since we are little, and then we kind of perpetuate that, you know, with our own kids. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and then the result of that ends up being, I feel, um, you know, people start to see like you, if you're a woman working something in technology, you are almost seen like as an anomaly. And I, I had so many occasions in my career when people came to me and said, you know, they 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 we got along very well, and uh, they they I felt like they admired my work and everything. But they would come to me, Paula after they had this level of a friendship and. Let me ask you this: Why did you choose this career? You know? What are you What are you doing down in this dirty mine? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, are you crazy or what? You know, it's just like, because you know, people don't see. It's just the image that we make. You know that. Um, uh, and again, I, I feel like all of us, to some extent, 
more or less we are guilty of that. I, I was just uh, thinking about, I have two nieces and uh, one occasion I was uh, buying some gifts for one of my nieces and uh, and I went to the store and uh, I picked up some clothes and everything and you should need some clothes. So when I went to the, before I was going to the cashiers, I look at my what I had bought and I saw all this pink stuff. I said, well, yeah, okay, you know, most of the girls stuff are pink. But then I realized, oh my gosh, she hates pink. I mean, why am I doing this? Yeah. She hates pink, you know, it's just That's like the perpetuation. Exactly, right there, right? exactly. So is the answer is the answer that we teach girls to code? Uh, I think so. And but a little bit beyond that, also to make sure it is not an intimidating environment, like a, it's a friendly, like for example, I can give another example. We'll talk about the data for good hackathon, hackathons, and uh, they're, they, I have had you know very good experience with those, but I have been to other hackathons as well. Mm -hmm. There was just one hackathon <laughs> I'm not going to mention, but you know, it was like, um, we we're going to work with weather data, and, um, and then we get there, and uh, first of all, I was the only woman, but that's okay, you know, it's not the first time. Uh, but then it's just like just group of just dudes talking, you know, do desk, you know, yeah. and uh, and I just didn't feel like a fitting. And basically, I think it's it's a little bit on the organizers to kind of make sure that uh, people are going to feel included, you know. Um, so how, how do you um, think that they would do that? I think they they you need to um, you know. Uh, it's, uh, establish some structure, like have some structure, like for example, um, well, um, we we want to, first of all, make sure that, remember that this is a, you know, I, I don't care about cursing, but, but, you know, you don't want to have people making stupid comments or right. making stupid questions. Um, uh, things that are not appropriate, right? Uh, make it very clear that that's not going to be accepted. Um, also, whenever I feel like whenever there is a, uh, a money prize, you know, just uh, hackathons tend to be a little bit more, uh, you know, I don't know, people, women tend to, I don't care about the, the money stuff, I'm, more, I'm there for, I mean, the money would be great, but I'm there more for like for the community, women focus a lot on community stuff, and right. uh, when I think about myself, I you know, I enjoyed that aspect. And so, you know, I think you have to have to set up rules clear uh, and then also reach out to people, reach out, because if you just let people self-organize, uh, when it comes to tech, you're just going to have men showing up. Um, sure, boys club. So, Do you think yeah. it would help to have a, a female organizer? Oh, yes, yes. Not always, but, <laughs> but I'm saying like, it, it's not something that, um, uh, is guaranteed to to help, but I think it's a uh, it's a step there because uh, um, you know a lot of the events that I go that we have more women presentation. They are usually organized by women. Right. So some of the so uh, some of the hack hackathons that I attend mm -hmm. have uh, mentors of some sort or another that are kind of walking around helping mm -hmm. give people direction. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe if we have a more representative, a, a more diverse group of mentors, mm -hmm. we, would, we would see more female participation in hackathons. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I think so. I don't so. know how you uh, highlight that ahead of time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think I think it's good to, when you're like a uh, marketing the hackathon, uh, make sure that you reach out to you know, women-specific groups. That by itself is going to send a message like, 
we want women to be here. Um, so this, this is all the hackathon I participated. It was actually a mining hackathon, mining technology hackathon. Cool. Yeah. And um, so it, it was okay. I mean, mostly guys anyways. But then I said, you know what? I'm going to come up. Because usually each hackathon has a different um, dynamics. So sometimes... You know, people go there, they have their own teams, or sometimes they are allowed to work on something they haven't had been working before. Uh, sometimes it doesn't even matter how much you code, it's more about the idea. So it, it really depends. So it's kind of hard to figure out the first time you're participating. Um, so I decided, you know what, I've been through enough hackathons now. I think I'm going to, I'm sure it's a mining hackathon, it's going to be mostly guys. Sure. <laughs> so I'm going to create a group ahead. And I went cool. on and recruited my friends. So we were the only group of women. There was one very um, brave guy who joined our group. <laughs> so yeah. Awesome, uh, awesome. What did you work on? Uh, so they had uh, actually two companies there, BHP and uh, Caterpillar. And uh, they had like a different, um, uh, basically they wanted to first to kind of develop applications that would help the problems that they posed. Uh, the one for BHP was was actually super interesting. It was about uh, optimization of their uh, logistics of their train, uh, their um, um, you know the you know the, uh, they have like just very large um, you know um, how do you say the transportation uh, of the ore from the mines because the, the iron mines in, in Australia are far in the outback. Far back, it's not, and uh, so you know they have this huge uh, logistics system uh, systems to actually transport all the ore to the to the coast to ship right. overseas, mm -hmm. and uh, so they're looking to optimize of their um, um, uh, the trains themselves, the 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 parts are related to the the, the railroad transportation. Um, and uh, and uh, and again, that was super interesting because just a little bit that you improve there is is a huge uh, opportunity. Like they have a lot of yeah, lot of. Uh, uh, and then the other one was caterpillar. The one that we worked with was uh, with caterpillar. Mm -hmm. Um, it was more of a strategic decision because the data set was smaller, so it's going to be easier to work with. Right. Uh, and they were looking for optimization of the. Um, also, was optimization, but more related to the operation of their equipment. Uh, so we had a lot of data from the trucks and uh, um, from the, you know, from the from the machine part. You know, the the the, the let's say the uh, technical aspects of the operation of a truck, mm -hmm. uh, mining truck. Um, so uh, they wanted to do some, you know, they were interested in all sort of things, whatever we would come up with. Uh, but they wanted like a you know, interest like in something like doing some predictions and everything. But in the end of the day, um, what was actually, uh, you know, um, what, what they were looking for more more ideas than necessarily coding. And we were like, you know, fixated on trying to come up with this application that would have all this uh, prediction, uh, safety. We were working like with safety. Um, how to improve safety and how you can actually predict uh, some uh, I, I don't even remember in detail what you we were working with but um, it was related to safety and uh, we focused too much on coming up some predictions and in the end of the day uh, we were not able to finish and 
it's just a weekend. Um, That's a hackathon for sure. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, before we run out of time, I want to get to reading list because I'm very excited about my my book. But Paula, let's start with you. What are you reading? <laughs> um, I actually uh, just finished rereading Animal Farm. <laughs> the classic. I yes, uh, I think it's very uh, you know much like a. People have, have been talking more lately about the book. I, I originally read the book in Portuguese, so I decided, you know, I'm going to go and read the English. It is a very small book, so I finished pretty quick. Uh, and then uh, I'm reading, it's a little bit lame, but, uh, or not, but it's technical. Lame in the sense that it's technical, it's not reading. So I'm reading the Algorithm is Illuminated, hmm. which is a book that came up a few months back, and a friend, uh, a friend uh, recommended me. Uh, cool. Yeah. What kind of algorithms is it? Is it tuned to a specific field or? Uh, no, actually, basically, just one. Actually, there will be four parts. Just so, this is the very first part of the book. So it, it focuses on sorting algorithms. Uh, ah, yeah. Uh, things like uh, big O notation. So these are the basic ones. Divide and conquer. Conquer. Um, yeah. So. Cool. That first. sounds like it would be right up your alley, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it does. Do. It does sound cool. Uh, has, has it got any pictures in it? <laughs> well, actually, it's cool because I like the you know it's written very much uh, as prose. Of course, there is math, but uh, uh, it's not super math heavy. So there is coding and prose and some math. So and yeah, I, I'm I'm enjoying. There is a there is a full course uh, online on uh, Stanford Lagunitas and also Coursera. Um, and of course, you can complement. Is it Python code in there? Uh, so the the it's um, actually just pseudocode exactly. Uh, okay. So you can usually use any any language to to code with it. Yeah. I'm I'm looking. I'm going to look inside ah. on Amazon. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That, uh, that looks really cool. Mm-hmm. How about you, Matt? Are you work, still working on uh, one of your mathy books? No, I'm actually not. I'm not reading anything at the moment. Sorry to say. Oh. <laughs> no. Well, um, um, that I like to hear that because I'm going to speak about my book now. Which uh, okay, okay, good. Okay, so uh, my favorite author of all time is Joan Didion, and she came out with she published a book this year about her trip. Of it's it's written off of her memoirs of her trip down to the southeast of the United States. So when when I was a young impressionable writer. <laughs> uh, I worked with a writing mentor. This is this is creative writing. This is non-technical writing. I worked with a writing mentor, and one of the most influential things on my writing at the time was a memoir by Joan Didion about her time spent in New York. And at the time in my life, I had just I was I lived in New Orleans for like two or three years, and I was in a I was in a new place that was strange, and I wished that the memoir Joan Didion wrote was about New Orleans. And it turns out, voila, that now she's published uh, basically an extended memoir. It's it's only a hundred something pages uh, of her time in the in the Southeast United States. So I'm I haven't started yet. I'm absolutely psyched. Favorite author, perfect subject, it's gonna be amazing. Awesome. Oh by the way, the book is called South and West. Did I say that already? South and West, okay. Yeah, actually, I live I live in Georgia and North Carolina for a while, for quite some time. <laughs> I I like living in the South. 
The people are very, very friendly compared mm-hmm. to my East Coast bratty upbringing. <laughs> um, but that's all the time we've got time for. That's all the time we have time for. What am I even talking about? Um, I have to say before we sign off, Matt. Wait, hold, hold on. Let's do outros and then I'll do this as my sign off question for Matt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not. It's a, it's an easy one for you today. So first of all. Paula, thanks for joining us on the show today. That was uh, a awesome chat. Of course, of course, of course. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Paula. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> All right, Matt. Here we go. How did you did you see it in the news? How did you know it was snowing in Austin today? Well, you, you led you sort of led led me into it with your Canada remark. And when the Americans talk about Canada, they usually see the talk, snow hockey. Huh? Yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah, or 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 saying sorry a lot. <laughs> one of those three things. Seriously, uh, I, I thought it was so, unlikely that people in Austin had suddenly started saying sorry a lot. So, huh. that's it, huh? Well, so Paula, that, is, that is like atypically good at puzzle solving and riddles, and ah. and so I guess I shouldn't be surprised that he got that. Um, got it right. <laughs> anyway, see you yeah, next my week. Mind palace and. <laughs> See you next week when Matt shows up with a double sided hat on. <laughs> oh, wait, before we sign off, I have to put my cowboy hat back on. <laughs> Thanks again, Paul. See you guys. Thank you, guys. Bye bye.